You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, what's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? Excellent. It's so good to see most of you. I'm just kidding. It's so good to see all of you today. I was just checking your pulse right there, being sure that you were awake. Um, hey, if you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, um, turn with me or swipe with me too. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament today um, in the book of Second Samuel. Um, that's the second book about the life of Samuel. Not trying to trick anyone this morning. Um, second Samuel chapter 11 um, and we're going to read uh, several verses out of both chapter 11 and then, and then keep on going into part of chapter 12. Uh, we'll land there in just a minute. But um, as, we, as we close out today's series, um, I, I've got a confession to make. All right. Is that okay if I just, can I just lay it out here? This is some good therapy for me, um, you know, and, and you're kind of a captive audience. Um, and so I'm just going to take this opportunity um, to tell on myself, uh, I got myself in a bit of a predicament here recently, and by recently, I mean yesterday. Um, and it's amazing how sometimes the Lord will just bring about uh, an experience in your life that fits directly with what he is trying to communicate through you in the message for that week. And, and um, even though I felt super stupid as, and such a dummy as, as it was happening, I could see how the Lord was kind of using this to point out even the, the, the very same truths that I was going to be sharing today and um, the things that, that he was trying to um, impart into me so that I could impart them into you. But um, I, uh, I was, I was um, looking at a, a piece of property yesterday um, just checking it out for a friend who had mentioned it to me and wanted me to go by and look at it. And um, there was uh, there was a gravel driveway um, that that I was in and or, or that I was on. And in order to to access the backside of the property and, and to kind of check it out, um, uh, you had to get off of that gravel drive. And I am um, what the French call lazy. And uh, so I didn't want to actually get out of the car and have to walk any distance. And so I did a quick survey of the land and decided that it seemed okay for me to, uh, for me to venture off of this well-marked path um, covered in gravel into parts unknown. And I mean, after all, like... I should have been okay. I am driving a 2005 Ford Explorer two-wheel drive with 180,000 miles on it. I mean, hashtag luxury, right? But ask me about my car payment. <laughs> Don't have one. Um, so I should have been okay. And I was okay right up to the point that I wasn't. When I hit that soft spot and the back axle of my vehicle just sunk into the mud and there was nothing that I could do. And so I, I tried everything and um, ended up getting mud all over my car and digging big ruts and got mud all over my pants and all over my shoes and all over the inside of my car. It was just a huge mess. And so I finally had to let humility take over and call somebody and get their help to pull me out and thank God that they did or I wouldn't have been able to be here today. 
to share this embarrassing story with you. And you know what? That's how a lot of us live our lives. When it comes to the boundaries that are around our relationships, we know that there is a clear and well-defined path for us to stay on. But from time to time, we tend to venture over to the edge and we look just beyond the edge of that path and say, it doesn't seem so bad out there. I've got this under control. I can handle this. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find out. It's going to be okay. And we venture out into the unknown. And then all of a sudden we get stuck and we make a big, big mess for ourselves. And we get dirt and mud and junk all over the place. We don't find out until it's too late. Today, we are in part three, the last and final part of a series that, as Ray so eloquently said, is called The Naked Truth. I love, I love that, The Naked Truth, or The Naked Truth, um, where we're taking a look at marriage, sex, and relationships through the lens of what the Bible has to say about them. And I believe that if you and I, if we will mine out the truths of of God's word and we will apply those truths to our lives, that you and I, we can have the best marriages full of the best sex and overall the very best relationships that we could possibly imagine. Two weeks ago in part one of this series, we talked about the connection between sex and servanthood in marriage. And we learned that sex and servanthood are both integral parts of a healthy marriage and that when it comes to fulfillment in marriage, we is always greater than me. And then last week in part two, we talked about the present tension within our society and culture between covenant relationships and cohabiting relationships. And together we learned that not only do covenant relationships honor God, but those engaged in covenant relationships are even more fulfilled in multiple aspects of their life than those that are merely cohabiting. And so for the next few minutes that I have today as we wrap up this series, I want to talk about the connection between purity and priority. Purity and priority. And so that leads us to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 1. And it says this, In the spring of the year, When kings normally go out to war, all right, that's important. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David, who is the king of Israel at this point, sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Verse 3, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba. Interesting that Bathsheba was taking a bath. I don't know if there's any correlation there or not. He was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. 
She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. And then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, you are in trouble, sir. No, she said, I am pregnant. So in these, there's a lot going on in these five verses right here at the beginning of this chapter. Um, and so uh, before we move on any further to, to see how the rest of this story plays out, I think it's important to make note of a few things that we can learn from David's predicament or his downfall right here. Um, and and the, the main thing that I take away from this right off the top of this chapter is that, that when it comes to purity, um, purity is way more about planning and positioning than it is anything else. Um, the issue of purity, it's, it's much more about planning and positioning than it is anything else. We see in these first five verses that David had no plan, and so that caused him to get out of position. Kind of like me yesterday on that gravel road. I had no plan. I thought that I could handle it, and I got out of position, and that led to the mess and, and this same kind of thing is what the, the enemy, uh, our enemy, the devil, what he's been doing um, our entire lives, all the way since the beginning of time. He's been tempting us um, in the same way that he tempted David here. Um, he started out with the temptation of Eve. And uh, any way that we are tempted to sin can really kind of be put in three different buckets or categories. It is, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is how the devil operates. And even though we know his game plan, you and I fall for it more often than we would probably like to admit. And so here is no different because David had um, experienced some temptation and he had gotten himself out of position um, in a few different ways. And he had succumbed to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The first thing he got out of position were his feet. His feet were out of position. See, he was supposed to be away from the palace, away from Jerusalem. He was supposed to be on the battlefield with his army. But instead, he sent the army ahead and he stayed behind. He was not where he was supposed to be. Um, so his feet were out of position. And this is the lust of the flesh. This is my army can take care of it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to be here where I want to be instead of where I'm supposed to be. The second thing that he got out of position were his eyes. This is the lust of the eyes, obviously. Um, the Bible says that, that while he was up on the roof, uh, that he was looking out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty who was bathing. Now, up to this point, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what he's done. It's, it's not wrong to notice a woman of unusual beauty. But where he fell into the mess is when he kept looking at that woman of unusual beauty and said, hey, go find out her name. That's where he got into trouble. It was the lust of the eyes. It was one thing to notice her. It was an entirely different thing to find out who she was. He kept taking it to the next step. And then finally, um, not only were his feet and his eyes in the wrong place, but his heart was in the wrong place. And this is the pride of life. When David learned about who this woman was, he still could have cut bait and, and move, moved along and, and, and possibly been okay. But, but knowing that she was married, he still sent for her. He thought, I'm the king. 
I can do whatever I want. No one's going to know. No one's going to find out. And, and sadly, up to this point, he hadn't put measures in place to limit his power and given anybody the opportunity to speak into his life and to hold him accountable. And so this was clearly a, a bad news. But yet, the messengers that he sent, the, the people that he sent, no one would stand up to him because he was the king. It was the, the pride of life that I'm, I'm larger than life and I can do what I want. And it's all going to be okay. And so he finds himself in this mess where Bathsheba then comes to the palace and they end up engaging in a sexual encounter and she gets pregnant. And the problem is, is that she's married and her husband is one of David's mighty warriors. It's out on the battlefield fighting where he's supposed to be. And so David quickly tries to take matters into his own hands and cover up this mistake. We continue along, uh, skipping down to verse 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Isn't this crazy that David puts the, the, death, um, the death warrant for Uriah in the hands of Uriah? David gives it to Uriah, like the gall of David to do this. And he says, the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. And then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. So David, to cover up this mistake because he could not convince Uriah to go home and, and to sleep with his wife, time after time, David finally, instead of just coming clean with what had happened and manning up and owning the mistake, he continues to try to cover it up and he's willing even to go so far as to having Uriah murdered in order to cover it up. But Numbers 32 tells us that we need to be, we need to be aware that our sins will surely find us out. And this case is no different. Skipping over to the next chapter, chapter 12, um, all the way down uh, beginning in verse 11, there's a prophet by the, the name of Nathan that comes to declare the word of the Lord to David for what has taken place. The Lord reveals to him what has happened. And so Nathan comes um, at the risk of his own life, comes and, and, and tells David the, the issue that he's dealing with. And Nathan says, this is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. But nevertheless... Because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Now, it's important for us to know that whenever we fall into any sort of sin, even sexual sin like this, that there is forgiveness that is available to us 
through our Heavenly Father and through the work of Jesus Christ that was done on the cross, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, you and I, we can be forgiven for this sin. But it is important for us to know that that even though forgiveness cleanses us of the sin, it does not absolve us from all of the circumstances, from all of the consequences that are surrounding the sin that we commit. And so because of this one act of sin, because of this one evening shared with Bathsheba, David, it was said that there would be turmoil within his household. He was told that his children would rebel against him. He was told that his his wives would engage in public sexual relations with other men. He was told that this child that now Bathsheba was pregnant with was going to die. And then there was even the case of generational succession because the next child that David had with Bathsheba is a guy by the name of Solomon. And uh, he, he was the wisest person that ever lived, the wisest king of Israel. But his downfall was his desire for women. And so we see how this one act cause all of these things to come into place. And we can continue to read through the biblical account and one by one by one, we see how all of these things do come true and do end up taking place. But yet, David was still forgiven by his heavenly father, but he had to endure the consequences. And and the fact of the matter is, is that when you and I choose to sin, we choose to suffer. Those two things are directly related. They're holding hands with each other all the time. When we choose to sin, it might not be immediately, but at some point down the line, when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. The good news for you and for me today is that the hope that we have is that despite all of this, David was still called a man after God's own heart. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what mistakes that you have made or what mistakes you're going to make. There is still hope for all of us. We can still rise above our sinful choices and be people that are after God's own heart, but we will always have to endure the pain and the suffering that are brought upon us through our sinful actions and decisions. With this situation with David and the same thing in our lives, all of this could, be, could have been avoided had purity just been made a priority. All of it could have been avoided had David just made purity a priority. And so that leads us to the question, I know that you guys are so great at asking questions every week. How do we make purity a priority? If, if that's how we can avoid all of this stuff, then how do we make that happen? And so there's three things that I'm going to highlight today. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. Um, three things that we have to get right in order for purity to be a priority. And number one, the first thing that we have to get right in order for purity to be a priority is we've got to have the right plan. We have to have the right plan. See, what I'm talking about is we've got to decide ahead of time. That's key. We've got to decide ahead of time. Let me tell you, um, it's probably too late to put a plan in place once you've put your credit card information into the porn website. Probably too late to put the plan into place at that point. It's probably too late to put a plan into place when her parents aren't home and you're horizontal on the sofa. 
No plan is getting put in place at that point. It's probably too late to put a plan in place when you've already checked into the hotel and you've told your spouse that you're going to be working late again tonight. See, make no mistake, we're not just going to be walking along and accidentally slip and fall into purity. Satan is not going to allow that to happen in our lives because he's constantly tempting us, constantly trying to get us off path so that we can get stuck, that we can get bogged down in the mess and the junk of sin. So you and I, we have to determine ahead of time who we are going to be and how we are going to behave. In his book, uh, The Purity Principle, Randy Alcorn writes this. He says, Satan's greatest victories and our biggest defeats come when he gets us to ask, should I choose what God commands or should I choose what's best for me? And the very framing of the question shows how deceived we are. See, when we buy into the lie that, that, there's, that there's what God wants And then there's what's best for us and that those two things are different things. We've already gotten messed up from the beginning. We've got to realize that that the things that God wants for us are the things that are best for us. And the things that we want for ourselves are just stupid. And they're going to leave us messed up and in a bad way. Psalm 101 verse 3. I love this. It says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. All right, I love the first two words of that right there. I will. That's talking about the future tense, that the psalmist is making a decision for how he is going to operate going forward. I will, when the time comes, refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. We've got to decide ahead of time what we're going to do when those situations arise in our lives. We've got to put guardrails into place. We've got to put guardrails into place. Had there been guardrails on that driveway yesterday, I wouldn't have taken my car off of it. But because there were not guardrails in place, that's what caused me to get into a big stinky mess. So we've got to put some guardrails in place. That means young people practice the art of double dating. Like, you know, once you turn 30 and your parents allow you to date, Go on double dates so that you're not just, it's not just you and the the person that you're on the date with, you by yourself, um, so that there's some accountability there. Go on double dates. Refuse to be alone in a private place and engaging or, or uh, uh, around anything that's going to cause you to, to sin. Like, so don't be, don't be by yourself if, if you can't, if you can't handle it. Okay? Um, Keep your computers or, or devices in high traffic areas of your home. Mom, dad, you don't want your kids to, to look at pornography. You don't want them to fall into that mess and everything. Keep the computer right out in the middle of the living room where God and everybody can see it. And they're not going to accidentally stumble on those websites. Maybe you need to install some accountability software on your devices that is and, and, and give I was getting ready to say, give the code to your pastor, but please don't do that. (laughs) Give it to someone else that you trust. Um, If you're married, give it to your spouse. 
so that they'll get the reports of where you're going and what you're viewing and what you're looking at. These are guardrails. These Just some examples. This isn't an exhaustive list. Married couples, be sure that, that you have access um, to each other's phones and texts and email and social media and financial records and all of that stuff, that you're sharing that stuff and that it's, that it's all out in the open so there's never any question or concern or lack of trust. Avoid situations where you're alone in private with members of the opposite sex that are not your spouse. All right? If they are your spouse, then I highly encourage being alone in private. But if they're not your spouse, just avoid that at all costs. And most importantly, you need to surround yourself with a few people that have permission to speak into your life and ask them to hold you accountable to your values and your decisions. You need to be able to, to, to have one or two people that you can go to and that you can hand them the knife of the thing that would destroy you, the thing that would kill you, and ask them, hey, I need you to hold me accountable in this area. You've got to have those guardrails in place. And, and, and I know what you might be thinking, like, Pastor Blake, this, this, is, this is 2021. Like, people don't live this way anymore. Yeah, and look where that's gotten us. These are, these are antiquated rules and, and guidelines and values. Why would we want to live this way? Here's why. Because no one has ever regretted sexual purity. No one. No one has ever regretted sexual purity. In the society in which we live, sexual purity, it may cause you to be misunderstood. It may put you in a position where you're made fun of. Maybe it might even ostracize you in certain circles or forums. But it will never, ever, ever cause you to regret. Ever. So when it comes to purity, the question is, what guardrails do you need to put in place in your life? They're not just going to show up magically. You have to put them into place and take the initiative and take the action to get them there, to guard yourself, to guard your heart, to guard your life against falling into impurity. So number one, you've got to come up with the right plan. Number, number two, you've got, to, you've got to come up with, uh, or be in the right position. You've got to be in the right position. I love to watch basketball. College basketball is one of my favorite things, um, even this year when my team really stinks. Um, but in, in basketball, there is, some of you may not have known this, um, there is an offense and then there is a defense. Okay. And that's kind of how the game is played. One side's on offense. That's the, that's the side with the ball. And then you've got the defense. That's the side without the ball. And, um, the, the defense, the side without the ball doesn't want the offense with the ball to put the ball through the orange circle. Okay. That's kind of how basketball is played. Um, the defense, the defense is designed certain formations and plays to stop the offense from being able to put the ball through the hoop. But the offense wins when they run a play that causes them to get their defender out of position. So what happens is, is the defender ends up being somewhere that he or she is not supposed to be. And that opens a door for the offensive player to take the ball to the basket and put it through the hoop. And so we've got to be sure that at all times we're doing everything that we possibly can to, to keep ourselves in the right position. That we don't get out of position so that we end up not getting beat. 
Here's what James, the brother of Jesus, writes about this in uh, the first chapter of his book um, in verses 12 through 15. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Here it is. Temptation comes from our own desires, all right, when we think that the things that we want are better than what God wants for us. So temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. It gets us, literally pulls us out of position from where we are rightly supposed to be. It says, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We see that example in the story that we've been looking at in the life of David, and we see it repeated time and time and time and time again throughout Scripture and throughout our own lives. So we've got to make sure that if we're pursuing Biblical purity that we're keeping ourselves, we're keeping our hearts, our minds, our eyes, everything about us in the right place so that we're not out of position. I love this quote from uh, um, Jason Robinson who said, you keep praying for Rachel, but you keep running around with a Jezebel. That's not how it works. Stop settling for less than God's very best for your life. That's the truth. That's the truth. We've got to decide ahead of time that what God wants for our life, if that's what we're going to pursue, and we're going to put ourselves in the right position to, to take hold of that. So we can't be in the position to receive Rachel if we're constantly hooking up with Jezebel. It's not going to happen the way that we want. So we've got to be sure that we're saying, I'm not going to go to that place. We've got to be sure that we're saying, I'm not going to look at that thing. I'm not going to participate in that behavior. I'm not going to be around that person because I know that whenever I engage in those things, that that temptation rears its ugly head and my desires take over. and, And because I'm enticed by that, it drags me away and gets me out of position from where I want to be. So we put that plan in place and that plan helps to ensure that that we're in the right position, that we're we're not um, off course. And then finally, the third thing, we got to be sure that that, um, we're, we're chasing after the right pursuit. We're chasing after the right pursuit. Jason Robinson, the guy I quoted uh, earlier, he goes on to say, um, he goes on to say this. He says, stop stressing about finding the one and remember that it's not about finding the one. It's about preparing yourself to be the one. Use this time to grow. Always seek God in everything you do and rest easy. His timing is perfect. So this is important, not not just for not just for singles, but, but also married people that, that we need to, we need to if, if we're single, we, we need to stop stressing about finding the one. And instead, we need to prepare ourselves to be the one. Once you get married, you need to continue preparing yourself to continue to be the one for your spouse. It, it doesn't stop once you get married. So always seek God in everything that we do and then rest easy that, that his timing is, is perfect. Jesus said it himself in in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some translations say, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing. And then live righteously and he will give you 
everything that you need. See, purity is about prioritizing our relationship with God as well as prioritizing our relationship with our current or future spouse. Purity is about saying no to what we think we want right now so that we can say yes to what God wants for us both now and later. Choosing to walk in purity is preparing ourselves for a desired future outcome of how we want things to be. And you and I have to decide, do we want to end up stuck in the mud, in the junk, or do we want to stay on the path and follow God's plan for our life? So the question is, when it comes to purity, what are you, what are you pursuing? When it comes to purity, is, is the right plan in place? When it comes to purity, what are the areas of your life that you're out of position? When it comes to purity, what are you pursuing? Because I think the point of all of this and, 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 and what, what this, this scenario from the life of David is, is telling you and me today is simply this. Purity isn't a priority without a plan. Purity is not a priority without a plan. See, we can say that we're going to do everything to live for God. We can say we're going to do everything to choose a righteous life. We can say we're going to do everything that we possibly can to make decisions based on God's word and his desire for us. But if we don't put a plan in place, we are setting ourselves up for failure from the beginning because purity is not a priority without a plan. So if we're going to be a people that prioritize purity, we're going to put a plan in place. That's a whole lot of P words right there. (laughs) But if we are going to be a people that prioritize purity, we have to put a plan in place. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And if there's not a plan in place, then it's not a priority for us. So we have to decide ahead of time, who are we going to be? Who are we going to be? What plan are we going to implement? What path are we going to stay on? And that plan for you and for me, it begins by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and surrendering once and for all to his way for our life. If you're here today and you've never done that before, if you're watching with us online, you would say, Pastor Blake, I'm I'm tired of living life my own way. I'm tired of dealing with the, 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 the... consequences and and the the guilt and the sin uh, of of my past sins and my past mistakes. And I want that to be washed away. I want to start fresh and anew today. I want to get back on the path and and choose to live how God wants me to live for my life. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's going to be on the screen if you need it. Can we just pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 
To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.